so he asked me to fill in, um, and I'll be just picking up where he left off, starting in Luke chapter 2, and we'll try to do verses 22 uh, through 52. Uh, it's quite a bit, so I'm going I'm to break it up in two sections, as you'll see. I'm not sure if we'll get through it. <clears throat> One of the hardest parts for me teaching is always trying to figure out how much time I have and fit it in. So um, for those of you who don't know, I'm Wes Jones. I'm one of the deacons here at All Saints. Let me, uh, let me start off with some prayer and then we'll get into it. All right. Father, we thank you for another Lord's Day. We thank you for the rain you've blessed us with that we so much needed. Father, we thank you for this day of rest. We pray now as we we get into your word that you would uh, guide us, lead us into all truth. Pray that um, that my words would be um, spoken in accordance with your word, that everyone would measure what I say according to your word, Father. Pray that we'd be edified, that Jesus would be exalted. In his name we pray, amen. Okay, so uh, the last thing I think that we heard about was uh, Jesus being circumcised. That should have been where we left off. Does anybody concree, concur, agree? Don't know? Okay. Well, that's where I'm picking up is right after that. So uh, Jesus was brought after eight days for the rite of circumcision in keeping with the law. Um, and now we're going to... Uh, to, to move into uh, a couple episodes is Jesus as a, a child being dedicated and also him as a young boy. Um, kind of two, two separate sections here. Um, and, you know, we don't, we don't get a whole lot from the Bible. In fact, this is the only part of the Bible we hear about Jesus as a boy. You know, not a babe, not an adult, but in between. Um, there's kind of three themes that I just want us to keep us in mind. I'm not going to elaborate on these points, um, or is, this is not a, a sermon, so it's not three points. But um, one is that he was born under the law, okay? Um, and, and Joseph and Mary, as godly parents, uh, made sure to be obedient to the law. Two, that he, that he Jesus, is fully man. And three... Um, that he's the son of God. So those are kind of the three, as I see it, the main themes that we're going to see here in these couple of passages. So let me go ahead and read, um, and then we'll get in. I'm going to read all the way uh, 22 through 52, and then we'll go verse by verse and, and break it down. All right, verse 22. And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, 
he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84, or 84 more years, she did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. And when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover, and when he was 12 years old, they went up according to custom. And when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it, but supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey. But then they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. All right. So... The two sections, obviously, is uh, we have Jesus uh, being presented at the temple, and then the second section is um, him as a boy staying behind at the temple and his parents not realizing it. Um, so my slides are just, uh, are just verses, so I'll, I'll just talk through these as best I can. Um, All right, so, and when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord. Every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to what is in the law of the Lord. A pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. So if we go back to Exodus chapter 13, I want to read for you here uh, what is in the law of the Lord and what was required um, of Joseph and Mary in particular as regards Jesus. So in Exodus 13, starting in verse 1, we read, 
The Lord says to Moses, Consecrate to me all the firstborn, whatever is the first to open the womb among the people of Israel, both of man and of beast, is mine. Then Moses said to the people, Remember this day in which you came out from Egypt, out of the house of slavery, for by a strong hand the Lord brought you out from this place. Okay, so he goes, he's talking about the deliverance out of Egypt, right, and the the slaughtering of the firstborn in Egypt and the Passover event um, where, where all the Israelites placed the blood of the lamb over the doorpost so that their firstborn would not be slaughtered. Okay. And then uh, further down in verse 11, when the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites as he swore to you and your fathers and shall give it to you, you shall set apart to the Lord all that first opens the womb. Okay, All the firstborn of your animals that are males shall be the Lord's. Every firstborn of a donkey you shall redeem with a lamb, or if you will not redeem it, you shall break its neck. Every firstborn of man among your sons you shall redeem. And when, it, and when in time to come your son asks you, what does this mean? You shall say to him, by a strong hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt from the house of slavery. For when Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let us go, the Lord killed all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both the firstborn of man and the firstborn of animals. Therefore I sacrifice to the Lord all the males that first opened the womb, but all the firstborn of my sons I redeem. Okay, and then we also read in Numbers chapter 18, just a couple of verses here, verses 15 and 16, I'll read. Um, it says, Everything that opens the womb of all flesh, whether man or beast, which, offer, which they offer to the Lord, shall be yours. Nevertheless, the firstborn of man you shall redeem, and the firstborn of unclean animals you shall redeem, and their redemption price at a month old you shall redeem them. You shall fix it five shekels in silver according to the shekel of the sanctuary, which is 20 geras. Okay, so we have Joseph and Mary coming really for two purposes at this point. One is coming for, um, to present the Lord as the firstborn to Joseph, to, the, to present Jesus to the Lord, right? He's, they're following the law. So a major theme in these next couple, uh, throughout these verses, is that Joseph and Mary were very pious, godly parents, and they were very careful to do that all that was in the law. Um, you know, you can imagine they were, they were teaching Jesus, uh, everything that was in the law, they were uh, careful to go up to the feast, as we will see here in a, uh, in a few minutes. Um, they were godly parents. They were raising Jesus in the fear and admonition of the Lord. All right. The other purpose is they were coming to offer sacrifice uh, for, um, to be, for Mary to be ceremonial clean, okay, because she had just given childbirth. Uh, Jesus had been circumcised. There's a requirement in the law for her to wait a certain period of days, 33 days, and I'll read this uh, quickly from uh, Leviticus 12, verses 1 through 8. Uh, I just want to show that there's, there's really two things going on here. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel, saying, If a woman conceives and bears a male child, then she shall be unclean seven days. As at the time of her menstruation, she shall be unclean. And on the eighth day, the flesh of his foreskin shall be circumcised. So we've seen that has already happened. Then she shall continue for 33 days in the blood of her purifying. She shall not touch anything holy nor come into the sanctuary until the days of her purifying are complete. But if she bears a female child, then she shall be unclean two weeks. 
as in her menstruation, and then she shall continue in the blood of her purifying for 66 days. Okay. And then when the days of her purifying are completed, whether for a son or a daughter, she shall bring to the priest at the entrance of the tent of meeting a lamb, a year old, for a burnt offering, and a pigeon for a turtle dove for a sin offering. And she shall offer it before the Lord and make atonement for her. Then she shall be clean from the flow of her blood. This is the law for her who bears a child, either male or female. And if she cannot afford a lamb, then she shall take two turtle doves or two pigeons, one for a burnt offering and the other for a sin offering. And the priest shall make atonement for her, and she shall be clean. So we see in Luke verses 22 through 24 that they came up to present Jesus as the firstborn and also to offer the sacrifice. Now, what do they offer uh, for her cleansing? Um, A pair of two turtle doves or two pigeons, right? And this gives us evidence that um, Joseph and Mary were at least not rich, probably poor um, or middle class. Uh, again, this is, this is all in keeping with Jesus' being born, his humiliation, being born a man. He wasn't born this, um, you know, into a, a position of king as we see it. Um, it. He was born into a position of humiliation, Okay. So moving on to the next verse is 25 through 26. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So we don't know a whole lot about Simeon. Uh, Some... Some of the church tradition suppose that he was a priest, but there's, we're not told that uh, anywhere. Uh, what we do know is that he was righteous and he was devout. Okay? And this isn't righteous like self-righteous like a Pharisee. He was not a Pharisee, but the, uh, the implication here is that he was truly righteous, a truly righteous man who you know, was uh, following God's law, who was in the temple uh, often um, doing his prayers, um, and he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel. And what does that mean? Um, we, so we don't, we don't know. We get the impression that Simeon was probably older, but it doesn't say that, so we don't know for sure. But we definitely see that he was waiting. He was a godly man who was in the temple, and he was waiting for the salvation of the Lord. Uh, you can imagine that he probably knew his Old Testament pretty well, um, he probably had Isaiah in his mind and the promises of a Savior in the back of his head. Um, you know, the promise of uh, King David's greater son, the one who would come to redeem Israel. Um, he was waiting. So we get this uh, picture of a, of a faithful uh, older saint who had been around for some time uh, and who was waiting in faith on the Lord, okay? And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And the Holy Spirit, at some point, we aren't given much detail about this, but at some point had revealed to him that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Christ, okay? That he would not die until he had put eyes on the Lord's Christ, 
So here he is in the temple, waiting patiently, and given the promise that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Christ. So you can imagine, you know, I don't, I don't know what that looked like, but he was probably somewhere in the outer courts of the temple. You, you can imagine that every time a couple comes in with a, a baby, you know, is this him? Is this the Lord's Christ? Waiting patiently. Uh, but we read here uh, in the next verse, 27, that he came in the Spirit, into the temple. So we get this sense that this time when he came to the temple, he was driven by the Spirit to the temple. Okay, he wasn't just, you know, doing his normal, um, his normal prayers. He, he was a spiritual man, obviously, um, but he was driven to this God-ordained meeting at the temple this day. And this, of course, is the day that Joseph and Mary had brought Jesus to present him to the Lord, right? And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said. So, Joseph and Mary come in. Jesus, in the Spirit, identifies, I'm sorry, Simeon, in the Spirit, identifies this one, Jesus, as the Lord's Christ, takes him from Mary. I don't know what Mary's reaction was as a mother. And then Simeon breaks out in a hymn, praise, a prophecy, right? Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace. And this isn't a departing from the temple. You know, that he doesn't just get to go home now, although maybe. This is, now I'm ready to die. Now, Lord, the promise you made specifically to me by your Spirit, I have seen and can die. It's like Simeon, it's like this was his main purpose in life. He had been waiting for this, this moment all his life for the Lord's Christ to be revealed to him so that he could announce it in the temple courts as a prophecy. And he was done. Now he could die. But it's more than that, all right? It's not just that, yes, all that's true. He had been ordained for this time and place, this prophecy. But he says, my eyes have seen your salvation. Now I can die. Right? Now I can die. For the, I've seen, he, he physically saw salvation. He held salvation in his hands. He held his very own righteousness in his hands. This was the promise, you know, first made in Genesis, the seed of the woman. This, was, uh, this is the one that Moses, the servant of God's house, pointed to, the son in God's house. This was, uh, this was the, the one through the promises made to Abraham would come. This was King David's greater son. This was all the promises that Simeon surely knew well were now in his arms. Salvation was in his arms now. 
Not the idea of salvation, not the doctrine of salvation, not the, you know, some philosophy. He was holding literally salvation, his righteousness, in his very own arms. No wonder he cried out with praise and prophecy. This is what he had been waiting for all his life. This is what all of Israel had been waiting for, right? This is what all of Israel had been waiting for all their life, is this baby, this Lord Jesus. So he was ready to die. He had not only seen him with his eyes physically, he had seen with his eyes of faith. This was the Christ. And so like the church, like us, if we have seen the Lord Christ with the eyes of faith, then what? We're ready to die. Of course, the irony is now we're actually ready to live, right? It's in dying and being ready to die, we can now actually live. Simeon could have said, now I'm ready to live. Right? It's in getting off of the treadmill, your own treadmill, the world treadmill, whatever the thing is before you see with the eyes of faith. Whatever that thing is that keeps you under the fear of death, because you have to attain something before you die, right? Whether it's eat, drink, and be merry, or whether it's trying to be perfect, or whatever the thing is that is your God that you're trying to satisfy before you die. Now you have seen the Lord's Christ with eyes of faith, and you can die, which means you can live, right? Now you're set free. You don't have to worry about death. So Simeon has seen salvation. He's held it in his hands. He's looked into baby Jesus' eyes, you know, probably drooling and whatever. He's, he's held it in his hands. And we see that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. So we see really here for the first time, at least in this gospel, that this is for everybody. This Jesus is for everybody, for the Gentiles, the whole world, right? It's a light for revelation to the Gentiles. And, of course, it's the glory of Israel, the one to whom the promises and the oracles of God were given is coming to fulfillment here. And his father... And his mother marveled at what was said about him. It's interesting that, um, you know, Mary and Joseph have both already been given revelation about Jesus and who he was. They were told what to name him. Jesus, the Lord saves. All right. And yet they're still marveling. They're still, they're still coming into an understanding. And as we'll see, they still aren't there. They still don't understand. But they're coming into an understanding of just who this Jesus is. And they marveled. You know, they, you can imagine they've got to be uh, just amazed at Simeon, who's just, it's, you know, broken out in this song of praise. 
this godly man. And it's like God is just little by little letting Joseph and Mary know who this really is. They know. They know up here, right? And it's starting to drop down to understand who this Jesus is. So Simeon has more to say, though. So surely Mary's heart was rejoicing, you know, this uh, knowing that her son and hearing from Simeon that her son is the Lord's salvation. But then Simeon has some more words. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. So it's like we go from this this exaltation, this joyful hymn, and now there's this kind of somber, ominous message that Simeon has. And specifically, he's speaking to Mary. Although he's speaking to all of us, This child is appointed for the fall and rising of many of Israel. What does that mean? Well, we know that Jesus, we know that Jesus came to save, right? For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son, right? But we also know that Jesus will judge. Though his earthly ministry was about salvation, he came to save. We know he is returning one day to judge, right? And we know that in Israel, there are many who opposed Jesus, right? And for a sign that is opposed, there are many in Israel who will oppose him. The Pharisees, the scribes, they will oppose him. They will hate him. Right? And so for them, for those who oppose him to death, will fall. Ultimately will fall. Right? But those who receive him will rise. They will be resurrected. There's both falling and rising. There's salvation and there's judgment. You know, I You wish you could say that all would rise, but that's not what the Bible teaches, right? There is salvation and there is judgment. And so he is opposed um, throughout his ministry, as Levi will, will go through in the rest of Luke. He is opposed in many ways, the the, the Pharisees are constantly trying to trap him in his words, to accuse him of blasphemy, that they might kill him, right? He's a, um, and, and, and eventually they do, right? Um, he's, but even beyond that, this is still true today. He's opposed, right? He's either received or he's opposed. He's hated or he's submitted to and adored and loved. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also. And I believe this is an allusion to the sorrows that Mary will have 
You know, there's, there's this, um, she, she's going to have to let go of Jesus as he grows in general. As she starts to f- more fully understand that Jesus is the Son of God, that he came for a very specific purpose, and that is to die. As she grows into that understanding, as she starts to see him mocked in his suffering, until finally she's there at the foot of the cross as she watches him die, a sword will go through her own soul. I believe this is why it says, and he said to Mary. And so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. You know, along with the rising and the falling, you know, depending on your reaction to Jesus, it's going to reveal hearts. The Pharisees' hearts are revealed, right? And their interactions with Jesus, they're revealed. Our hearts are revealed. Do we love him or do we hate him? There's no middle ground, right? Do we love God's people or do we hate them? There's no middle ground. At the end of the day, you are on one side of the fence or the other. And this is what he was appointed for. This was his purpose, born to die, to save his people, and returning to judge the world in righteousness. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at, the, at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. So we have a prophetess named Anna, who's also in the courts of the temple. And she was an elderly woman. Says so she was advanced in years. In fact, she... Um, had been married at one point for seven years. And then after that, she lived, the, the ESV says she was 84. Um, your footnote says also that she lived another 84 years after she was widowed. So that puts her somewhere, you know, depending on how that's interpreted, between 84 and like 105-ish you know, if she was married at like 12 or 13, as they did often in those days. Um, so she was an elderly woman, and she had been called to be a widow. God had called her to be a widow, and she was in the temple. In fact, she did not depart the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And here we have another you know, so we already have Simeon and Joseph and Mary and the babe Jesus, and enter stage left comes Anna, the prophetess. You know, I think of um, many of the, the women in, in our Lord's church who serve so faithfully, godly, pious, constantly in prayer. It seems like a lot of times especially women are given that gift of, of prayer, praying for the saints. 
Um, this was her waiting, just as Simeon was, waiting for the Lord's salvation. Fasting and prayer night and day. And of course, as, as Jesus comes in, she too recognizes, maybe she heard what Simeon had to say, but she began to give thanks. So she, she now realizes that salvation, God's salvation is right there in Simeon's hands. And what did she do? She began to give thanks to God and then start telling everybody. Here he is. Here he is, Israel. Here's the one we've been waiting for. She was so excited. All those years, hundred and however many years it was, she had been faithfully, patiently waiting on the Lord. And just like Simeon, she had now seen with her own eyes her salvation, the promised one. Any, let me stop there because we're going to go into the next section. Um, any questions? Okay. So, Luke, starting in 39, And when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth. So if you remember, that's where they were living uh, before the census, when they came down. Um, and then they had to find somewhere for Mary to give birth to Jesus. Now they're going back to Nazareth. But again, Luke is emphasizing when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord. And he wants to make the point that Jesus was born under the law. He was born as an Israelite that he might identify with his people of the covenant. Right? Everything they did, Joseph and Mary, the pious parents, was done in accordance with the law. Everything Jesus did was in, in accordance with the law. And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. So another major point that I mentioned in the beginning, or theme, is uh, Jesus' uh, being fully man. All right? and so Luke starts to emphasize some of that now. We see that the child, and the child grew and became strong and filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. So we, you know, it's... So Jesus grew. So the next, the next time we see Jesus, in the next few verses, he's going to be a 12-year-old boy. But between the time he was just a couple months old and 12, what did he do? He grew, just like every other young child, right? At one point, Jesus couldn't walk. They had to feed him. They had to burp him. They had to change his diaper, right? He woke up in the middle of the night hungry. At some point, he learned to crawl. At some point, he learned to walk when he was a toddler, right? He had to learn his letters. He had to learn to talk, to move his mouth, use his tongue. He had to learn all these things as he grew physically. 
right? He had to learn his ABCs. He had to learn to read and write. And no doubt he was learning God's Word from the earliest times. With, with two godly parents, Joseph and Mary, he was probably immersed in the Scriptures of the Old Testament. And it's easy for us, I think, to... Okay, yeah, Jesus had to grow, physically had to grow up, right? That's, that's the easy one, I think. The harder one for us to think about is he had to grow intellectually also. He had a, he had a human body, but he also had a human mind, right? So that had to develop just as ours did. He had to learn the Scriptures, right? He had to memorize them. He had to understand them. He had to learn to understand. And he had to learn to apply them with wisdom. Okay? He knows the Scriptures. Now, how does he apply them in real life? How does he work out wisdom? How does he grow in wisdom and stature? So I think Luke wants us to just pause for a second there and think about these things. He was really a man. So we now fast forward to Jesus being 12 years old. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover, and when he was 12 years old, they went up according to custom. Now the custom, or the law, required that all males 13 and older needed to be at uh, three feasts per year. Passover probably being the main one, and of course tabernacles and Feast of Pentecost. Jesus probably had been before, we don't know. Mary was actually not required to be there, but they went, um, as many of the godly women of Israel also went. And this was no short journey from Nazareth down to Jerusalem. They probably went with a large group. We know they went with a group. They probably went with a fairly large group of brothers and sisters, immediate family. Their church, the whole church went. They all went together. Probably all the churches from the area all went together to Jerusalem. Right? And you can imagine, you know, it's estimated that about 200,000 pilgrims would have been there or been making this trek. And so when Jesus as a 12-year-old, shows up. You can imagine the sights and the sounds. The city is just full of people selling things, uh, uh, beggars strategically positioned on the corners, lots of you know, festivities, lots of things going on. And for a 12-year-old, exciting. He, at that age, may have been allowed to run the city you know, with his friends. Who, I don't know. There is certainly a lot going on. Uh, but probably more importantly, at 13, Jesus, or any Israelite boy, um, would become uh, a full member of the synagogue. And the custom was that the year before, they would learn the things that they needed to learn to become a full member, or a son of the law, or a son of commandment, as they called it. And so Jesus... This year, had, there was special significance in his going up to Passover, right? And learning these things, because the next year he would be 13. And so there's this special significance about this year and excitement of what he would learn. 
And we know Jesus, being the perfect Son of God, was most certainly excited, right? To learn as much as he could, to hear teachers, to participate in the life of Israel. And you got to wonder, we're not told at this point of Jesus's, how conscious he was of being the Son of God. It doesn't talk about that yet. But you got to wonder, I mean, he, he's coming into the city and no doubt there's hundreds of thousands of lambs that are ready to be sacrificed. And on Passover day, they surely are. You know, as they each go to their own family to sacrifice the lamb. And what is he thinking? What is he thinking as he sees this scene? The Passover lamb. The blood for the deliverance of the people. And no doubt, you know, they would, they, would go through, they would go through all the rituals they needed to do. The lamb was sacrificed, uh, the, unleavened, the, the, the unleavened bread, the, the lamb. The, um, and then it, it, at the end of the day, there's probably more festivities. Um, and at some point, it was likely that Jesus asked the traditional question, what does all this mean? Right? Because that was the tradition, the, the The son, probably the oldest son, would ask the father, what does this mean? And he would recite the story of God's deliverance out of Egypt. This is what it means, son. That God delivered us. He spared the firstborn through the blood of the lamb. He spared Israel. He delivered us out of Egypt. Again, what was Jesus thinking? Did he know? How, how well did he know what was set before him? And when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. So the fe- they would have been there for probably seven days. Being godly parents, they probably stayed for the whole feast. And Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it. But supposing him to be in the group, They went a day's journey. But then they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. So again, they traveled as a group to the Passover feast, and they traveled home as a group. And so you can imagine Jesus was probably with his cousins or friends or wherever as a whole group. His, you know, Jesus never sinned, so his parents probably weren't worried that he was somewhere getting in trouble. They probably trusted him. And so they're not thinking about, well, where is he? Because everybody's going. Everybody's marching. We're going back to Nazareth. They're not thinking about where is he. They're not worried about it. Until probably sundown came that evening, time to go to bed, and it's like, well, where's Jesus? If any of you have kids and for even a moment you've thought you lost them, you kind of know the feeling, right? Your heart kind of drops down here and the knot gets in you and you're like, oh boy. Where's where he? Where's he? Who's up? Where'd he go? Did you see him? You kind of start acting stupid and doing acting crazy. So they're probably running around. It says, it says, uh, they began to search for him among their relatives. So you can see him running around the group asking 
aunts and uncles, and have you seen Jesus? Asking their friends, have you seen Jesus? Nobody's seen Jesus. So what do they do? Joseph's probably like, well, we got to go back. We got to go back to Jerusalem. We must have left him. I thought you had him. I thought you had him. Some commentators say that the men and women actually traveled separately in separate groups. And so it was Jesus being 12, was he with the men? Maybe. Was he with the women? Maybe. It doesn't say any of that, but that's one speculation. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking the questions. So they journey for a day. Where's Jesus? Whoops. They journey back for a day. And then the next day, they go looking for him, and they find him in the temple. Right? Sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. So Jesus is in the temple, probably somewhere in the outer courts of the temple where there's teaching going on, and he's sitting down listening to teachers. He's listening to the teachers of Israel teach the scriptures. And he's probably just sucking it up like a sponge, loving it. He loves his Father. He loves the law of the Lord. And he's just absorbing everything. And he's asking questions. He's learning. He is growing in wisdom. He's actually learning the scriptures. He is a man. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. Now, one thing is you could suppose, well, yeah, he's the son of God. Of course he understood the scriptures. And of course he had great answers to questions. But I would suggest that, you know, here he's not, as Donald McLeod would say, he's not presuming upon his godness. He's actually learning and growing and has good understanding. Now remember, he is without sin, both original sin or any personal sin. He's without sin, so he doesn't have that depravity to retard his growth mentally and physically like we do, right? There's nothing holding him back in that sense. So he, has, he, can, he can grow in knowledge and fullness unlike we can, but it's, it is natural. It's the way God made him. He's without sin. And they were amazed at his understanding and his answers. So he's fully, he's fully into it. The teaching and the answers. Again, he's growing in wisdom. Any questions? So, uh, so are you asking, does the three days allude to his uh, death and resurrection? Yeah, some commentators think maybe. Um, you know, Mary was distressed, pierced by the sword. Was this the sword that was going to strike her soul, right? Jesus is gone. And then on the third day, she finds him. I, maybe. I don't know. It doesn't hurt to do that, I don't think. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said, so his parents were astonished. Why were they astonished? Because they just found him and he'd been missing for three days? 
or because he was sitting there with the teachers answering and asking questions that were astonishing. I think probably both. Mary was upset. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. Mary even invokes his father. Your father and I have been looking for you. Right? In great distress. So she was probably one of those moments, she was so happy to see him, so disappointed that she thought Jesus had let her down. All right. And then she's like, who is this Jesus? That he has such wisdom. And he's discussing with these teachers of the law. And he said to them, now this, this next line is, I think, I think this line, Luke told this whole story for this line. This is the only story we have about Jesus as a boy in between babe and adult. And I think he tells this whole story for this line. And he said to them, why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? So there's obviously some more liberal theologians who try to make this, okay, see, Jesus sinned against his parents. Right? He disobeyed them, whatever. Which is obviously, the whole Bible speaks against that. Je- Jesus obviously is the sinless Son of God. Um, you know, maybe Jesus didn't know they left. I don't know. I think the key is that he was submitting ultimately to his Father. And where did he need to be the most as a 12-year-old boy, learning the things of Israel, getting ready to become a full member of the synagogue, in his father's house, right? And the significant thing here, obviously, is that he says, my father's house. Throughout the Old Testament, God is father is seldom used, but it's never used as personal my. It's always father of the nation, like in a national sense. And Jesus clearly here says, my, my father's house. And this is obviously striking because what? And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. He had to correct Mary. Well, he had to announce that he was in his father's house. The son had come. Moses was the servant of the house. Jesus, the son, had come and he was in the temple. It's like his first announcement. Yes, I am the son of God. Right? And his acknowledgement of that. You can, you can imagine, we don't get a whole lot, but you can imagine he continues to grow from then until he starts his ministry. He's growing in that understanding and realization as a man, growing in wisdom, his intellectually, physically understanding, he is the Son of God. 
And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to him. Again, Mary had, Mary and Joseph both visited by angels. Your son is going to be named Jesus. The Lord saves. Simeon had spoken to him. The prophetess Anna had spoken to him. Yet they still didn't fully understand who Jesus was. And as neither did his disciples. Their whole, the whole New Testament, or at least the, the Gospels, they're trying to figure out or trying to come into this full understanding of who is Jesus. Who is Jesus? You know, and it's not until the resurrection that we really get clarity. But this is his first announcement, the first words spoken by Jesus in the Gospel of Luke. I must be in my father's house. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. So again, to, to emphasize obedience, being born under the law, we see Joseph and Mary um, continually submitting to the law of God, presenting Jesus, going up for the sacrifices, going to the feast, Passover, and now we see Jesus submitting to Joseph and Mary in obedience to his parents. Right? Honor your father and mother. So yes, he's ultimately submitting to his father in heaven, and that's why he was found in his father's house. But he continues the rest of his life in perfect obedience to God's law, which includes obedience to his parents, Joseph and Mary. And she continued to treasure all these things in her heart. Again, she's coming into a full understanding of who Jesus is. You can, she probably thought on this, and maybe even Luke got some of this story from Mary or from relatives, continuing to understand, oh yeah, remember when Jesus was 12 when he said in the temple? And she thought on it and thought on it all the way until the cross, right? She starts, oh. See, she had to let go of Jesus as a son and receive him as Savior. There was this processing that was happening for everybody. Yeah, Jesus is the king of glory, but he's got to suffer, right? He's got to suffer, and we're going to have to suffer with him if we want to identify with him. There's this realization of who he is and what he's come to do. And then Luke ends this section, and Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. Again, Luke's emphasizing he is fully man. He has the same limitations we do. He uh, had to grow physically. He had to grow intellectually. He was really tempted by the Satan in the desert. He really wanted to turn the bread or the stones into bread. He really suffered. He really can identify with who we are because he's really man. Fully man. He really felt pain on the cross. He really felt the pain of the wrath of God, the Father, turning his back on him, judging him in our place. Fully man. Any questions? Yes, I think, I think what, you know, Mary didn't have Westminster Confession chapter 8 to understand oh, everything unfolded for us. So we're, we're seeing revealed here Jesus both as fully man and we're starting to get a glimpse of him as fully God.
and his acknowledgement that he is in his father's house. He is the son of God. And this is going to unfold more and more, obviously, throughout Luke's gospel. Yeah, and, and again, Mary's understanding, the disciples' understanding is growing. Everybody's understanding is starting to grow. Growing in favor with God. Yeah, um, you know, there wasn't a whole lot on that other than that, um, you know, obviously as the second person of the Son of God, there was perfect fellowship. And so I think we don't, again, we try to, the, 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 the errors of church history are you want to take and just consider his godhood or his manhood. His, take his Christology to one way or the other, right? And, or not apply it at the right place at the right time. And the Bible sometimes a, will call it one thing, but really attributes it to another. And um, So I think as a man, he was growing in favor, not in the sense that like, oh, God didn't like him, but now he likes him more. But he was growing up in, in the wisdom and maturity and into his role as the, as the son of God, as man. So, you know, the ESV um, uses favor. The other translations actually use grace, which I don't know if that helps because depending on which definition you're using for grace, it might even make it murkier. But He's learning obedience. If, I think, if I think of my children, you, the, as your children learn to grow in maturity and obey more and not just obey because you said so, but love to obey, you know, you don't, you, don't, you don't love them more, but there's this sense in which they're, you know, you, you appreciate that more and you're, you're prizing that more. And, and that's how I think of growing in favor is like just that growth in the relationship as he matures. Any other questions? Let me pray quickly and we can go to worship. Father, we thank you uh, for your word. We thank you for our Lord Jesus, who is both fully man and fully God, seated now at your right hand, uh, interceding for us. Father, we pray as we we go to, to worship you, that you would feed us this Lord Jesus, that we would see with eyes of faith and be prepared to die and ready to live, Father, for you, for your glory. In your name we pray. Amen.